Well, good morning. As most of you may know, my name is Dwight Waldrop. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. Our reading this morning will be from John chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 15. I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, there's Bibles in the pews or use your phone or your tablet, whichever. And if you'd like to follow along, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. God's word says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, the Seda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming... Another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, is it the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet? But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him and behold, found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have been become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. It's great to see you. Thanks for um, the invitation to be here over these past four weeks. It's been a delight and a joy. When um, I, I'm not a cook, but I know how to cook a steak that my sons enjoy and I go to a lot of preparation to find it and just fix it the right way and then to cook it you know and that's a lot of hard work there's one thing I wait for and that is when my sons will bite into that and say dad this is the best you've ever done (laughs) I mean it's just delightful to prepare it's also delightful to get appreciation so thank you for being so appreciative of the word of the living God one thing that's lovely about sharing in the word of God is that I get to speak it you know the Bible says that So through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Speaking in agreement with God's word is 
powerful. And my prayer is that your practice would become beneficial. So when I wake up in the morning, I wake up in the rational and I'm thinking about stuff. And then as soon as I think about stuff, I think, hmm, how am I going to solve that? And I typically just start jumping into fix-it mode. And um, sometimes I just forget that God made a promise. He says, I'm with you and I'm never leaving. But I forget that. And I just rush out, start doing my busy stuff, paint myself into a corner, get fretful, anxious, bite somebody's head off in the process. <laughs> oh, somebody's done that yet. Um, you know, start taking Maalocks. And then God just reminds me so gently, I'm with you. And so I then stop and I turn and I say, Lord, would you help me? And it's just amazing. He's so full of grace, isn't he? How gracious is our God that he just keeps on. And from his fullness, we just keep on receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so I got tired of living that way. And I thought, is there some preemptive strike that I can make against my flesh? Because I wake up in the rational and in my flesh. Well, of course, the great command is at the center of God's construct. To be loved by God and to love others as I love myself is a relational construct that results in me living in the contingent particularities of life. And we all face them, lots of them. They come in the form of people and problems, issues. Some of them are personal to us, others of them are circumstantial. And so what can I do to make a preemptive strike? Well, I have to be intentional because relationship is all about intentionality. And intentionality de demands the exercise of free will. I'm ridiculously in charge of that. And so I can exercise my free will. When I wake up, first thing I do is get a good cup of coffee. You know that nothing spiritual happens before coffee, don't you? You can be certain of that. Get my cup of coffee and then I have to be intentional to push back on all of my angstiness. All of the, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. and Push back on that. And start to fellowship with God. That's a wonderful thing. It's called the koinonia of the spirit. Have you heard about that? It's delightful. 
The koinonia of the Spirit is called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You say, boy, I'd like to buy some of that. Well, actually, it's an invitation given and an invitation received. So to quieten my heart and say, God, thank you that you desire fellowship with me. You know, isn't it amazing, the God we serve? He fellowships with me as an individual and you. Isn't it amazing? How great is God that he loves and cares for us that much, that he wants individual fellowship. It's called prostotheion. And this is what we find in the very first sentence in John's Gospel. The synoptics help us with the birth and the resurrection period of the life of Christ. But John is so special to us because it gives us a much bigger picture. In the beginning was being the Logos. And the Logos was pros tone theon, face-to-face fellowship in the triunity of God. Of course, what happened at Calvary was that Christ, as he offers himself on our behalf as a sacrifice of atonement, literally hilasterion, as he is that sacrificial lamb. Jesus takes upon himself our sin. And he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's there that the prostone theon, the face-to-face fellowship of God is broken. For what reason? So that we who don't have it can get it. The ultimate privilege is to fellowship with God. Of course, one day we shall see him face to face. We'll be like him. If we were to see the divine glory of Almighty God unfettered today, we would fall down like dead people. You can read about it in the Revelation. But God nevertheless has fellowship for us. And the koinonia of the Spirit is the pathway to joy. Do you know that Jesus is praying that our joy would be full? There's no biblical antonym for joy. You say, well, sometimes I get sad. Yeah, and the antonym is happy. Happy, sad. We're not exempt from that. But God says we have measures of joy. It is a product of being made right with God. How? Through the wonderful sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the challenge of these few weeks has been Do we just hear good messages and then kind of go out and go through the rededication blues all over again next Sunday? 
Or is there a way that we continue to grow, not just in knowing God, but in the grace of God, so that the joy becomes full? The measures of joy start to fill up. Is that possible? You know, for many believers, unfortunately, it's just like, hmm, hope I kind of survive it here because it'll be really good out there. I want you to know, it's going to be really good out there. You know why? Because when we see him, we'll be like him. But this side of heaven, there is a process called sanctification. It is the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. It is the process whereby God is making us in our body, soul and spirit more and more like the Lord Jesus. I just want to ask you, if God conformed you and transformed you in a greater measure this week, to the likeness of Christ. Would that be good? Would you want that? The problem is we don't know what we don't know. And so this journey with Christ never needs to be dull and boring. Never. Because we can always be growing if our hearts are opened to him. So we have looked this, these few weeks together at the fact that we all have life. It is called bios or biological life. And we know there's a problem with our bios life. It is terminal. It will be overcome by death. It also faces its terminal nature in every aspect of our being. There are a lot of abilities that we have, but we often reach the terminal nature of our bios life. And so, in him that is in Christ is life. Well, we just have two English words and they mean the same to us. Life, life, what's the difference? No, the Greek is Z-O-E and it comes along with a modifier, a descriptor. And the descriptor is Ionios. What Christ brought to us is life, Z-O-E, and it is Ionios. And is it eternal? Yeah, sure. But it's way more than just temporal. It is way more than just a translation that gives us the temporal syntactical meaning. Ionios is eternal. The descriptor of the life that uniquely comes to us in Christ is that it is eternal. It has this quality. It overcomes death. And you know, we will know one day what that means because for those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we fall asleep this side and wake up that side. I don't know about you. 
But sometimes I struggle to go to sleep at night and then it's like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to fall asleep. We say that, don't we? Actually, you wake up the next day and say, when did I fall asleep? And you can't remember exactly when, because sleep overtook you. And then you woke up the next morning. Well, this is what it's like for us. Friends, we're the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Yeah, we have our issues and we have our circumstances. Some of them are happy and some of them are sad. But you know, ultimately, we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Why? Because one day we will fall asleep this side and wake up in the presence of Almighty God. And we... Where's Dick? Oh, he's out there. We ain't seen nothing yet. Isn't that right? We haven't been there yet. But oh, how glorious it is going to be. But we know that his life is light. In other words, God turns the light on for us. You may be wondering, this side of heaven... Is it possible to have growing insight? Because, let's face it, we're complex people. We're intricate. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then something happened. This virus called sin came and affected every part of our being. And sometimes it seems as though the viral activity of sin suddenly was downloaded and that malware is there and we don't have a clue as to how to fix it. God said his life is light. God turns the light on. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God, including our complexity or the way in which the viral activity of sin has marred the basic image of God in us. You know that God is not only able to turn the light on, but he's able to download. (laughs) He's able to download something that is transformational. What does it do? It transforms us back into the wonder of Almighty God. The way God has made us to be. So here's Zoe, is Ionios, and it is Phos. How good that, you know, if we had stopped long enough, if you want to get well, God wants us to be well. More, because he knows what the superlative is. The superlative is being like the Lord Jesus Christ. So he invites us to abide in him. Abide in love. That means that we, he is the vine and we are the branches and God has ordained us to produce much fruit. But he says, abide. 
the Greek word meno here means to remain. And the problem is that sometimes we're enjoying and then we kind of don't anymore. And you say, well, God left. No, he didn't. God did not leave us. In fact, that would violate God being truth. He didn't leave you. You say, well then, how does the Bible address this relationally? Well, you know, sometimes inadvertently, we just kind of ignore people and we quench their help. They may be offering, but we have not exercised our own will to welcome and therefore we end up quenching the help of the helper. My prayer has been, God, would you make me so aware of your presence as I live in the reality of life that instead of quenching your help, your counsel, your wisdom, that I would constantly quench my flesh and welcome the great ministry of the third person of the triune God, God the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at abiding and we've seen that that first miracle, the miracle where Jesus goes to a wedding and they fill up the stone jars to the brim and then they draw from it and they take it to the master of ceremonies and he tastes it and he said, I am confused. Most people who hold a wedding bring out the really good wine first and then when the guests have had too much to drink, they bring out the cheap stuff. But you have left the best until now. This gives us insight into the words that we find in the Johannine prologue where John testifies and says, the man who came after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Talking about Jesus. And we know that the old covenant is obsolete. How do we know? God says so. And God has replaced indeed fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the old covenant in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, God gives us three things. One, a new heart to love him. Number two, the measure without, the spirit without measure. Number three, the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn out all of the propensity that we have to performance-based acceptance under the Old Covenant. And so when we get to John chapter 5, we have such a delightful story. Because John chapter 5 says that Jesus went to Jerusalem and it was time of the feast. And in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, there is the pool of Bethesda. We know from the scriptures that not only did a vast number of people lie there, 
many of them sick, many of them with dreadful conditions that were incurable. And they waited for the waters to be stirred, believing that as they first got in, they would be cured. And Jesus learned about the condition of a man. And the scripture very succinctly said this man had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned of his condition, he asked him the most ridiculous question in all of the Bible. Sir, do you want to get well? This question seems ridiculous for this man. Do you want to get well? I suppose you and I, we would think of some answers maybe that might be a little bit irreligious, like, well, duh, (laughs) can't you see that I'm emaciated and I've been here for 38 years? We could see that easily, and in that light it seems like a ridiculous question. But we realize that while this is a wonderful story, through the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us and he says, Do you want to be well? Now we have three major characters that we have been introduced to. Nicodemus a Pharisee, a leader, ruler of the synagogue, wealthy, connected. We then moved to chapter 4 where we met a Samaritan woman. And then we meet this man, a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. So sometimes when Jesus asks us that question, it's more obvious. Well, Lord, we've often prayed. Uh, Lord, I see this diagnosis. Would you heal me? Boy, that's great. I believe we should pray and ask God for healing, for physical healing. This man obviously knows that he is helpless and has no helper. It's rather stunning to us because Jesus draws near to this man and he cares about him. I have no one to help me. This man realizes he is helpless and has no helper. I would submit to you that all of us have experienced this. You see, this is exactly how we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God orchestrates circumstances and situations. And then God comes to us with light And he shows us our bios. And we realize that if we die without Christ, we are lost eternally. The ultimate plight 
And that causes us to respond to the Lord and to say, Lord, I have no one to help me. That's when God shows us the wonderful provisions of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection life that he offers. God gives us this wonderful gift at that time. It is called repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. It is that moment where God shows us how desperate our plight is. And we say, God, I have no one to help me, not even myself. And God says, I have provided Jesus. Oh, how do I get that? Turn away from looking to yourself to be the solution to your own eternal salvation and turn and look unto me. Because that gift of faith, when I look to Jesus, I'm looking away from me. And God transacts the greatest miracle. Friends, we're the most blessed people on the face of the earth because God drew near to us and he, he put the light on our plight and we understood that we could not save ourselves and God showed us the righteous, complete provisions of God in Christ Jesus and he gave us the gift of faith to believe in him and when we looked away from ourselves and trusted in him, God saved us completely, instantly and forever. This is the greatest gift on the face of the earth. But when we look at this woman, we know that she too had a problem. In fact, hers was a moral problem. Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. And she says, actually, I don't have one. And he says, you've spoken right. You had several and now you're shacked up. So she had an obvious moral issue. But she didn't just have a moral issue, she had a legal issue as well. No one could represent her except her husband in a court of law. So where would she even have a hope of presenting her case? She was just kind of surviving, but surviving alone. And then she hears Jesus, a Jew, speak to her and she said, you're a male Jew, and I'm an immoral Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? Unfortunately for many of us, we have been raised in such performance-based acceptance that sometimes when we have moral issues or when we have legal issues, never mind all the other issues that might have been hidden because the well was deep. We have this mindset, you know, 
I suppose I better go and hide from God until I can clean my act up. Friends, I want to take you to that wonderful story in the book of Genesis. Because the Bible says that God said to Adam and to Eve, I want you to enjoy everything. I'm gracious and opulent. Enjoy it all, but don't eat there. And don't you know, here comes old slippery, snaky Satan. You just hate him. Bah. You know there's something called spiritual warfare, and Satan is always trying to deceive us. Trying to convince us that God's holding out on us. That God is not good and opulent and generous. That if you just try this, you know, maybe that will sustain and supply the longings. And sometimes we give in to that temptation. And then Adam and Eve hid from God and from each other. I call it the big bush cover-up and the big leaf cover-up, you know? It's what happens when we fall short of the glory of God. We run and hide. And then, when I clean up my act, I will go back to God. When I just get right with God, Oh, I I, I can't wait until I can go and get right with God. And, you know, when I've basically cleaned up my act, then I will go to him. And, you know, he's probably going to be hard to find, but I hope I get there. In Genesis chapter 3, God goes to Adam. Adam, he's hiding behind the bush. Where are you? My friends, this almighty God who doesn't forget anything, this almighty God who sees everything, God is not going to Adam to try and discover where Adam is hiding. God is going to Adam to help Adam know what has happened to Adam. Don't you love the fact that our God pursues us? Now you say, well, you know, go on sinning that grace may abound. Well, try and sin away the grace of God if you can try. How about it? You know it will break God's heart? It will not be the absence of the supply of his grace. It's how you will be hurt in the process. That's what breaks the heart of God. That's what breaks your heart about your kids. Ask me. And friends, God is right there today saying, do you want to be well? Yeah, with all of your much try-harder Christianity, do you want to be well? You see, his life is Ionios. 
God is able to change the appetites of our flesh. You say, hmm, sounds like a lot of nonsense to me. I'm just offering, friend, as a fellow pilgrim. Because God is in the transformation business, not in the conformist business. He doesn't invite us to be saved by the transforming power of Christ and then live a life of conformity. Those are two Gospels. Well, what of Nicodemus? I've got no problem, said Nicodemus, yet there's a stirring in my heart. There's a stirring. I've got everything. But there's an absence. I believe it is well recorded for us here in John's Gospel, chapter 5. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Nicodemus, he had everything. He was Israel's teacher. He knew the scriptures backwards. But there's a stirring in his heart, you see. There's got to be something more. Where's the life? Where's the life? I was seven years at seminary, folks. I can tell you that some of the most intellectual, wonderful religious professors were mine. And some of them became the driest spiritually I've ever met. Don't let that happen to you. You don't have to. You can know the scriptures backwards. Miss the life. Miss the life. And Nicodemus knew it. And he goes seeking for Jesus in darkness. The scripture pictures him walking in darkness, going to Jesus, who is the light. And so the question is on the table. You want to be well? I tell you, Lord, you made me. You made every part of me. I want to be well. Well, you can turn around to me and say, well, what area? I say, whew, man, I don't know what I don't know. But I've tasted of him. He's good. He's good and he loves his kids. He loves you. And he's right there. Lord, I want to be well. 1993, I moved from New Orleans to Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, I'd lived in the States since I was 30. So eight years. 
lived on the campus of the seminary where they did all the mowing. Never touched a mower. Then we purchased a home, gracious home, right here, just down the road from us. And God's people were so gracious, they brought all kinds of stuff for us. One of them was a Murray lawnmower. Isn't that a great gift? It's like the kind of, you know, you give a whistle to your friend's children. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's a great gift. But anyway, it's the middle of summer and I'm just, I'm really excited about getting to mow my own lawn for the first time. So the backyard is kind of flat and small. And I get out there and I mow, 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 mow. And you know what the Alabama summers are like. You do? Well, I'm in the front lawn now and that's got a little bit of gradient. And I'm pushing up. Turn around. Oh, this is easier. Turn around. Pushing out. By the third up, I'm saying, God, I'm so grateful for this lawnmower. But you know, I've been down to Lowe's and they've got some lawnmowers with some really big wheels on the back there. This one's just got tiny little four inch wheels on it. And I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. And grumbling. And the next minute I look down here, right on the handle, you know, is another lever there, a lever. <laughs> and I'm pushing, and I said, I wonder what that thing's for. And I went, <laughs> and it took off. Friends, I was pushing something that was designed to be self-propelled. I'm still embarrassed to tell you that. What are you pushing today? Is God just stirring the waters of your heart today? He's just stirring. Not with condemnation. Is God just is God just messing with you a bit? Is 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 that you know maybe the waters are deep and underneath there's but everything looks calm on the surface and God is just breaking the waters a little bit, messing in a good way. You see, you're immediately going to jump into, well, how do I fix this? What, what do I do? And God just simply says, you want to get well? Lord, I have no one to help me. Not even myself. But I trust you. And when you'll trust God with the way he'll do it, And the timing that he will do it in, you will live with an anticipation of the surprise of Almighty God. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe in my heart, God, you have raised Jesus from the dead. 
Jesus, you are Lord. You are my Lord. I thank you for the authority that you have given to me to live by your resurrection life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit of Almighty God. You are the Spirit of Christ. You are the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Nothing is impossible with you. I invite you to turn the light on. I invite you to apply the resurrection life of Jesus so that I will be transformed into your likeness. I thank you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.